In this episode, we are going to be reading the final chapter of Child of China, chapter 22, and our story comes to a climax. Put your mind to rest. Take a deep breath through your nose. Hold it. Relax every, everything in your body while exhaling slowly. Another deep breath through the nose. Hold it. Release over every bone in your body. Feel yourself sinking into the bed and listen to the story as it unfolds. Meanwhile, Satu Sai was taking the food cooked by a woman in the White House to the men defending the town. Her first journey was a long one, for the town was large, but every journey after the first was shorter because the defenders were being driven back within the town. And every time Sato Sai found her way to the soldiers, it began more difficult to distribute the food. Give my husband some first, the wife of the one-legged man had called after her. It was I who cooked the food. But this was not possible, for Sadu Sai had never been able to reach the one-legged man. Did you see my husband? Another woman asked on her return. You know who he is? The man with the big moustache? No, I didn't see him. Again and again, she went to and fro between the house and the firing line, and every time she came back, the woman had cooked more food for her to take away. It grew thinner and more watery every time, but it was still welcome. Have you no fear, my little girl? The doctor asked her. But Sartu Sai had no idea what fear was. She had no thought beyond her desire to help. She was waging a war of her own, a war against everything wicked, against disease, pain and death. She was waging this war. She had been unable to understand the things that were happening, although she had listened to all that had been said and had tired to think. She felt defeated by all the mystery and horror and found solace in her simple efforts to make things right. 
The doctor watched her leave the house, his slender shoulders burdened with a yoke, from each end of which hung a heavy pot. She stepped carefully, so as not to spill a drop, and seemed intent on her labours. The shaggy dog followed close at her heels. The doctor's own work seemed slight in comparison, and he wondered uneasily whether he was right in remaining at the White House, where he had succeeded in establishing an emergency hospital, and had got together a staff of nurses and the necessary medical supplies. Sartusai went on with her labours, but she thought constantly of Tuku. Ching Chong could not help her now. His mother had come back and nothing would induce him to leave her. Sartusai not even stopped to ask his mother about little Tuku because the woman drove her on with her work. When she stopped a moment to question, the wife of the one-legged man ran out of the kitchen. Let her alone, she called. Satu Sai has other work to do. Don't worry about her with all your chatter. Satu Sai shouldered her yoke again and left them. Only the dog kept faith with her and followed. The little old mother, though, thought it was very wrong that no one went to fetch the good old man and Tuku, and she said so to the rickshaw coolly, I can do no more, he said. The soldier will go and bring them along. The soldier, hearing this, went off but he never returned because when he got back, he found that men were fighting all about the archway. He joined the others and was shot himself. That was war. For the soldiers in the filing line, Satu Sai, with her pots of food, was nothing less than a miracle. The rumour spread among them, She walked upright in the thickest hail of bullets. It was a miracle that no one could explain. Satu Sai knew nothing of what the soldiers said of her. She knew nothing of death and nothing of herself. She saw that the despair on the soldiers' faces was ever growing greater and she heard the firing always nearer and at shorter intervals. In her mind was the picture of her mother and she had seen her lately in her dream. People must help each other, her mother had said, then nothing will be so bad, neither poverty nor hunger, nor, nor war? Sartusai had asked 
But to this question, her mother had made no answer. All at once, Satu's sigh was seized with a great longing for Tuku. While she was carrying the food, it suddenly seemed that she heard him calling, Satu sigh, Satu sigh. Where was little Tuku? She thought of him coming to her so suddenly made her cheek go pale. Tuku, she called, though no one heard her, but the good dog. I'm coming, Tuku. Time after time, she imagined she heard him crying for her, bitterly, entreatingly, as if he were in the gravest danger. Sardisai ran back to the white house. Again, the woman from the kitchen tried to keep her to her work. No, cried Sardisai in desperation. Others can carry the food, but I must find Tuku. Where is he? And she knelt before the little old mother who told her at last. Sardusai went out blindly, following the directions the old woman had given her. She still carried her burden of food because the woman had filled the pots while she talked to the old mother. She stumbled on with her heavy yoke. Night came and she lost her way in the streets. Tuku, she called anxiously. Tuku, but there was no answer. The sound of rifle fire was now quite near. Seek Tuku, she bid the good dog, which followed close on her heels. And again, he seemed to understand exactly what she wanted. But he too failed to find either the archway or Tuku. Sardusai sank to her knees, exhausted. The dog rubbed his head against her affectionately, licking her, and did his best to comfort her. In return, she stroked the hair from his eyes and then stood up again. As she did so, the flute fell from her tunic. She bent down quickly to pick it up again, but the dog had already sniffed it. It's little Tuku's, she said sadly. The dog pricked up his ears and eagerly sniffed. Tuku was what she had called before. Seek, Tuku, she had said. The scent on the flute must be Tuku's. She had made that clear now, but why had she not done, done so long before? She had not done so because, being only a factory girl, she knew nothing about dogs. It was only by chance that the little flute had fallen from her tunic and that she had told the dog that it was Tuku's. But the dog was on the scent. 
and he immediately began to track it down. Hurrying on ahead, he found Tuku in the archway and barked with joy. When the dog was still, Satusai listened for a moment and heard the sound of weeping. Though through the thunder of the guns and the cracking of the rifle shots, she heard the weeping of a child. It was the same cry which had reached her ears above the plashing of the water in the great flood so many years ago. And the same child was crying. And it was dark now, as it had been then. Satusai's heart beat evenly and strongly. Everything was all right now. The dog came back to her and led the way to Tuku. She laid her hands on his burning face and gave him food from her pails. The dog sat at her feet. The moon rose high in the heavens and it lighted, revealing, as if by day, the ravages inflicted on the town. It seemed to Tuku that the moon was quivering with fright at the violent noise of the firing. But that was his imagination. It was Tuku who was quivering. The moon hung large and still in the great vault of heaven. Satusai had her arms round Tuku and every time he shivered, she rocked him gently. Tuku tried to tell her about the death of the good old man and she felt sad and alone. She could not bear the thought that he would never speak to them again. But she found comfort in the smile on his lips. He seemed peacefully asleep. Her eyes grew moist and two large tears welled up around her eyelids. She brushed them away quickly. They would make Tuku more unhappy. Tuku had seen the tears and knew from one they were shared. But he could not be unhappy now that Satusai had come. The battle, which had begun quite early in the day, went on all night. Tuku was already deafened with the noise and he was too terrified to open his eyes. Satusai, on the other hand, looked about her perfectly calmly and took in everything. She heard with equal clearness the distant tumult and the slightest groan of those near at hand. Smoke and flames poured from the rafters of the houses, windows were shattered and doors fell into the street. Sometimes there came a pause 
a cessation of sound as a house collapsed and broken bricks and other rubbish piled up in the road. Men hastened by, followed by soldiers. Sartusai did not know whether they were friends or enemies. She gazed at the flames, which made a mockery of the gentle rays of the moon and rocked Tuku in her arms. She heard the crash of artillery and the sharp reports of rifle fire while she sang the boy his cradle song. It was the song she had sung in the boat at the time of the great flood. When she had come to the end, she said to Tuku, As soon as it is light, I'll take you to the White House, and when the war is over, we'll leave this place and look for the village. What village? asked the boy. My village, the village I come from. Do you know its name? No, Tuku. And yet, you think you'll find it? Yes, Tuku. And what will we do in the village? We'll help mother and father in the field. Must we always help? asked Tuku. Sartusai smiled at this question. You can also sit in the furrow and warm yourself in the sun. Is it nice in the village? Yes, said Sartusai. Behind the hut is the bamboo, and beyond the field is the river. On still days you can hear the shouts of the boatmen, and mother will cook you soya beans or rice. Picturing the scene as Sartusai described it, Tuku smiled happily and fell asleep in her arms. He slept until dawn. It was a chill, misty morning, showing no promise of becoming bright. It seemed as if the light of day shrank from revealing the destruction wrought by man. The bombarded houses floated in a mist which enveloped the whole town. The tumult had ceased and all was still. What had happened? Had the enemy taken the town and then continued their advance or had there been put to flight? Sartusai had no idea, taking care not to wake Tuku. She gathered him into her arms, caught the dog softly from his corner and set off. Not one stone lay upon another. Sartusai, undeterred by the wreckage, went straight ahead, clambering over masonry and rubble, looking neither to the right nor to the left, 
and allowing nothing to divert her from her goal. In this way, she finally reached the White House. Its roof was gone, but the doctor was still there. Nurses were hurrying along the passages and stairways, and countless men and women were moaning and weeping. The woman who were there before, on seeing Sartu Sai, ran up to her, complaining. Yi Yi was squatting on the floor, playing with a broken medicine bottle, and Ching Chong was weeping with remorse at having abandoned Sartu Sai. Tuku awoke and put his arms around her neck. It reminded her of when he was a little boy. How long ago it seemed. Now, I must give you back your little flute, she said to him, feeling in her tunic. But the flute had disappeared. This made her very sad. Stay with Tuku. I'm just going to look for the little flute, she said to the dog, and he laid his head on one side and looked at her with eyes that were full of gratitude and understanding. She was soon in the street again, and she saw as she went along, searching for the little flute, that the town had completely changed. People with their faces swathed in cloths were struggling into the smoke-filled houses while others were bearing away the dead and wounded. The air was filled with moans and cries for help. Was it like this before? Thought Sadhu Sai. Had she failed to notice because she had been carrying Tuku in her arms and had thought only of bringing him to safety. This time, I am seeking the little flute, she reminded herself. It is the only thing of the good old man's that we have. I must find it, and then I shall go back. While she was thinking, these thoughts, the town was subjected to a fresh bombardment. Had resistance arisen again from the ruins? Why had the firing begun again? Sartu Sai went on warily. Her eyes flickered, her legs trembled. Ah, if she could only sleep or rest or sit in the furrow of the rice field and warm herself in the sun. Men were firing from the ruined houses. Others were firing into the houses. What men were they? She put her hand to her forehead in bewilderment. Tuku was in the White House now and nothing more would happen to him. She stopped and listened. A whimpering sound went toward it. 
in the street, his body bent, his face distorted with pain, lay a man in uniform, a soldier. He was wounded. Sadi Sai knelt by at his side. All the weariness gone now. She no longer noticed the fits of shivering which was shaking her from head to foot. Here was some more work that had to be done. Tearing a piece of cloth from her gown, she bound it round the man's wound. Then she looked around in search of help. She could not distinguish one object from another. Everything was dancing before her eyes. No one shall kill, nor allow a living creature to be killed. Sartusai turned round. Where was the boy who was speaking? She could not see him anywhere. She was alone. Men ran out of the houses, stumbled, regained their balance, and were pursued by others. Where was Ching Chong to carry the man to the White House? Ching Chong was not to be seen, but other men were hurrying past her. Help me, called Satu Sai. I can't carry him, can't you see? The men, as they ran past, cast a hasty glance at the kneeling girl and the whimpering soldier. Leave him, they called back over their shoulders. Let him be and save yourself. He's a Japanese. The guns were still roaring, but Sati Sai, small and fragile as she was, had seized the soldier by the armpits and was dragging him along the street. There was nothing else she could do. What if he was a Japanese? He was still a man. Was he to be left lying in the street, suffering? It was more and more of an effort for her to squeeze the air from her lungs, and the blood ran to her head and hammered in her temples. Would she ever reach the White House? No road had ever been so long and hard as this. But the goal had never seemed so desirable. She could think of nothing but the comfort and safety of the White House. She rested for a moment only. Then, with her last remaining strength, she seized hold of the man again and dragged him through the garden to the house. The door was opened by Tuku, who had been watching for her. There, gasped Satu Sai, and she pointed to the man, who lay whimpering at her feet. As she spoke, she sank down, exhausted on the step. The sun broke through the clouds victoriously, and, as a mother would have done, wrapped Satu Sai and little Tuku in its warm rays. The dog 
came bounding out of the house, threw himself at Satu's side and licked her hand. Not far away lay the little flute. In the garden, the rose tree bloomed sweetly. Satu Sai could not speak. Tuku looked at her in alarm. He reached for the little flute and felt comforted. He must be strong as a tiger and brave as a lion to help Satu Sai get well again. Sadly, all good things must come to an end, so I bid you good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite.